The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. I'm delighted to welcome Matt Pennicott to uh, today's show. Matt is co-founder at Ada Ventures, a $34 million London-based uh, VC fund launched in December 2019. And they are aiming to shake up the old boys' networks and the unconscious biases that dominate the world of VC. So Matt, welcome to the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan. Thanks, Gary. Privileged to be here. Now, Ada Ventures has a highly differentiated offering. What prompted you to raise a fund based on or focusing on overlooked founders and underserved markets? And what exactly are your investment criteria? So there's a couple of questions there. But I think first question, you know, what prompted us to do it? And I should say that Ada is a direct reflection of, of myself and my my business partner, my co-founder, Chuck Warner. And we were managing a fund together as employees of an asset management business. And I think that there were several things that came together, like one of those, those magical business moments in life that everybody feels is totally unique and never happened to anybody else, happened to us, as it has done a million times before, and we'll do again. And we just realized that the UK venture capital ecosystem in which we were operating was pattern matching investment decisions, right? So the same people were getting backed over and over again. That's not to say that, you know, to, to choose one example of that myriad that female founders were not getting backed. And you can see that in the data, just to choose one one angle to Ada. And why was that happening? It's not because the VC industry is inherently sexist. It's because there's deep subconscious bias within the VC business as many other business sectors. And that was one of the things that Czech and I realized. And that came to light in data. My co-founder, Ada Czech, is the co-founder of a not-for-profit called Diversity VC. Diversity VC exists to shine a light on the venture capital ecosystem and to make it more inclusive. And one of the pieces of data, again, just to pick on gender, that that organization highlighted in 2018 was the 89p in every pound of UK venture capital went to all male founding teams. 10p went to male-female, and 1p went to all female founding teams. So to continue that status quo, you've got to believe that only men can be great entrepreneurs, right? If the business of venture capital is backing great entrepreneurs, seeking huge outcomes, and we just, as I suspect most people, just fundamentally disagree with that statement. I'd personally go a bit further and say, I actually think women make better entrepreneurs than men, but that's probably a conversation to pick up later on. Staying with the question, yeah, we realized that was a big opportunity to back founders that were not being backed by the existing VC ecosystem. I think secondly, we realized there was a huge opportunity in the UK to go earlier. You know, if you look at a lot of VC websites in the UK, they talk about being there right at the start of the journey, first institutional capital. Actually, if you look at the data, the amount of VC funds writing pre-traction checks is incredibly limited in the UK. It's obviously not in other markets like the US, but in the UK it is. And we saw that as a huge opportunity. The barriers to entry founding a tech company 
have come down massively. The cost of doing it have been creatively destructed away to almost nothing. And therefore, the opportunity to invest early to kind of follow Silicon Valley, where in the US there are 900 micro VC funds, that's funds of under 100 million, investing therefore by definition incredibly early with small checks. The opportunity to do something like that was very, very clear to us. So we wanted, you know, we thought we could do that. And then kind of thirdly, we felt that investing in a strategy that was only backing very large potential outcome opportunities was also something that presented itself as an opportunity, perhaps less clearly than the other two, because all VCs say that. We're all investing in billion-dollar outcomes, right? Of course we are. But we looked at the data. We saw that actually a lot of these software businesses were potentially great outcomes for early investors like angels and what have you, but we're never going to quite have that global ambition, that massive, relentless scaling desire to go to become $10 billion organizations. And so those three things kind of came together between the two of us in a meeting of the minds. And the outcome of all that is Aid Adventures, which thankfully raised, you know, we, we convinced investors to back those three kind of core tenets of our strategy. And how can you be so sure about the upside when you're backing pre-revenue businesses, pre-revenue founders? You can't be at all. I mean, you can't be. It's it's all about, for us, it's all about determining, trying as best as we possibly can to analyze the founders that we are looking at through our deal flow around relentlessness, around having a mission. Again, the, the you know, mission gets bandied around a lot these days, but what we mean by that at Ada is, is there a change in the world that the founder just has to try to affect? It's, it's much more important to them than just doing a startup because it's interesting or because they might make some money out of it one day. This is way, this is a higher calling, if you like, than that. This is about they're just consumed by the need to affect this particular change on the world. And often, and again, this isn't the nuances of how we make investment decisions, but often you know, that can almost bleed over into overly obsessive behavior. You can imagine that, right? And it's very, very hard. It's a, it's, a, it's a really, it's the hardest bit about my job is trying to decide, trying to make that determination, basically, about a founder. All the founders that pitch us now have read all the blogs and seen all the content about how to pitch a VC. They all know that when I say, hey, why are you doing this? They have to say, because I want to build an enormous organization that has massive impact on the world. They know how to do it, right? And, and, um, and so it becomes quite a hard, hard determination to make. And so, you know, we're still refining how we do that. We haven't, we haven't figured, you know, as I like to say, we're all just figuring this stuff out. You know, that's the human experience. We're just figuring it out. But that's a big focus for our, our due diligence process and what Czech and I really challenge each other on in our sort of investment decision-making process is, is whether or not we believe that founder or those founders in that particular organization have those characteristics that we think index strongly for things like grit, you know, which gets talked about a lot. And it's that brilliant book. Um, but what do we mean by that? We mean the kind of the drive and the motivation that comes from a really deep seated desire to affect certain change on the world and that's manifested itself in a startup for whatever reason in that particular case and that kind of pure motivational ambition to to affect that 
means that when bumps in the road happen, as they inevitably do all the time in startups, they're not going to be dissuaded, not going to be set off course by that. It's going to be seen in the context of, yeah, but I'm trying to achieve this huge thing. And that's part and parcel of it. You know, to give you an example from, from our own experience of raising the fund, which, by the way, we should definitely talk about if you think your listeners are interested to, we had no idea what we were doing. We'd never raised money before and happy to be really open about that experience. And one of the learnings that we landed on in that process for ourselves was because we got told no all the time, right, as you'd imagine. And we, and we know and we were lucky enough to have real supportive people around us, other VCs who had raised funds and people who were really great at helping us saying, look, it's a numbers game. You're going to meet kind of somewhere in the range of 20 to 50 limited partners, the LPs, the investors in funds for everyone that says yes, right? And so it is however you want to look at it, a numbers game. And so we kind of convinced ourselves that hearing no was part of getting to the yes. Like we're only going to get to this magical answer of 30 million pounds like by hearing a lot of no's. So every time we heard a no, we kind of saw it in that context. And I think that was that's a kind of way, that's a lesson learned anyway. That's something that I share with people is, is wait, if you really want to achieve a big, hairy goal. And what are some of the other lessons you learned from last year's fundraise? And what do you wish you'd done differently? Wow, that's a whole podcast. And I should say, we, we are putting some video content together at the moment to address that. So it's scalable because I get asked this now all the time because people sort of, but to answer your question directly, I think some of the big learnings are things like you're building a fund management company as well as raising a fund. And Taylor Gates, myself and Czech, we hadn't appreciated that at all. We focused all our effort on the fact that this is a fund and when we raise the fund, it will be amazing because that's that if, but when kind of thing that we're all addicted to on some level, I suspect. But what I've realized now is, well, we've done this, but we've actually, be careful what you wish for, we've got two jobs now. So we run a fund management company which people kind of belittle a bit because, oh, it's not a real business, a venture capital business. And actually what I've discovered is it really is. It's a regulated business. It's directly authorized by the FCA. It's very important these days. It has all the same challenges that lots of startups have about when to hire the right people, how to retain the right talent, how to do cash flow planning, how to do marketing, you know, how much of a brand are you going to build? And actually, we've got a full-time job running the fund. And we got a full-time job running this, this startup. That was a big learning. Sounds quite obvious and happy to tell it against myself, but that, that was a big learning. One of the other things I'd always want to pass on to people, a bit like the kind of, you need a thousand no's to get to 30 yeses, is along similar lines in that you, know, you set out to, to do this, this sort of thing and you're so obsessed with it that you try and be overly controlling. And you're never going to do this unless you're monumentally ambitious, right? It's such a, it is such a hard thing to do. And Czech and I were in the super privileged position of being able to do that. And I would encourage Czech put an amazing medium post together about the privilege of being able to raise a fund and try and put that in the show notes maybe. But um, you can get very obsessed about it. And that's part of what gets you there. But one of the things we learned was how to work with that in a more positive way. So we kind of came up with this ourselves, but it was a three-step process i would say step one is you've got to get in the room you've got to do whatever it takes to get in the freaking room if you're not in the room you're never going to get there you're just talking about it basically and there's a great book by arlon hamilton one of our lps called it's about damn time and that talks about someone coming from none of those privileges that check and i had and just getting in the getting in the room that's one of the one of the many things she talks about really well in that book 
So just get in the room. Point two, bring your A game. Like if you got the meeting, you know, don't have a beer the night before. Don't you know, just prepare yourself properly to bring your A game. You know, focus all that energy, all that ambition, all that kind of desire on bringing your A game into that room. Just do the simple things to prepare yourself well. We talk about some of those things; they're different for everybody. And then, thirdly, and most interestingly, is don't try and control the outcome. And that's where I felt we kind of made some early mistakes. Is we were so desperate for the goal that we overly tried to control the outcome and try to manage it after the meeting. And actually, people don't really want to be oversold in that situation. These are probably like super basic sales things. And so to answer your question directly, what would we have done differently? We'd have had sales training. Like, you know, we didn't know how to do any of this, right? And it's actually just like selling anything, right? We were selling interests in a fund and, you know, not something else more tangible. And we would have had sales training. That's, that would be a big learning. And we'll do that before raising fund two because we kind of, sort of got away with it on fund one like yeah we did it and there's a lot of uncoding of that. i'm not quite sure how we did it i think a lot of it was investors backing raw opportunity and that is in a one of the things we've got in our toolkit is an unbelievable partnership between the two of us which is based on mutual love and respect and appreciation of the complementarity of our partnership which is an equal partnership and i think the investors saw that and I think a lot of it was a similar decision to the ones that Czech and I make in our investment committee, which is, are we going to back this at this stage? Do you really a question? And I think a lot of our LPs, I think, have made a similar decision with us. And that's great and wonderful. And I think a really good decision by them. But it kind of probably means that for fund two, we're going to have to sell it in a completely different or in a relatively different way. We're going to have to get better at it. And there's going to be data based on fund one. But yeah, so I would, there's some kind of things we did well. I would do sales training. One of the great ways you can do sales training is you can you can do it yourselves, not probably with each other. And I appreciate a lot of funds these days are solo GPs. So, but I learned this from Czech, from my business partner. I saw her in the early days pitching the fund to people, quite random people actually, like not people that she was actually pitching. What's she doing here? She's She's learning by repetition and she's, also prepared to listen to input from people that are not LPs to help hone that pitch. And so I started to copy that and started to do it myself. I remember you know, pitching my wife, pitching my dad, pitching, like, you know. Did you get any family members to invest? <laughs> no, no, we didn't. We we didn't. We, um, no, I'm, I'm probably not from that sort of family that could do that. But by the way, there's a really interesting point, I think, now in terms of sales and raising money. And this is very relevant for founders. I like to say that I grew up in the venture capital business in the US. I was based on the East Coast, actually, in New York for five years, running a venture fund over there and investing in tech companies in the States. And one of the things I learned from that amazing experience, which again, is a whole podcast, which probably only I'd be interested in, but is there was a lot of learnings from my time living in another country, another culture, was Americans' general, generalization, ability and desire to pitch friends and family for money to start something and almost the feeling of well look you know i'd be kind of pissed if you didn't pitch me for money because this is you know either either i'm a very rich person you know which i'm not but I, i'm a venture capitalist i know how to invest in these things whereas in the uk again massive generalization reticence it's not the right word reticence like the, the kind of you know people don't want to do that you know they kind of feel uncomfortable pitching 
their rich uncle to invest in their startup. And I and I spent I spent say to a lot of founders like raise F and F money, like, you know, just and the way to get comfortable with it is to think, presumably you want this business to be a monumental success, right? That's why you you're doing it. You're doing the crazy thing that is do a startup. It's so painful. It's going to take you 10 years. You're going to have no money. You're going to be kicked seven ways to Sunday. Like, why are you doing this? Because there's this massive outcome. And if that happens, which you're expecting it to happen, your rich uncle is quite within his rights to say, huh, where was my ticket? Well, why couldn't I put, you know, 50K in at the start or what have you? And so that's how to get comfortable with it. You're giving people an opportunity as long as it's described as like putting something that you're happy to, to write off. And that's again, like another kind of thing I always say about angel investing, like write the check and then write it off. And, <laughs> and secondly, go to work for the company. Like just go and do everything you can to help the company within your own time constraints. So no, we didn't have, we, we had friends invest in the fund and I'm really motivated by that capital, but no family. Now you've continued to actively invest throughout the lockdown, yet you're a new fund with somewhat limited brand recognition. So how are you driving your deal flow? I think that we're doing it to two ways that are hopefully beyond the norm. We're doing all the normal stuff, right? But then we're doing two things that I think are hopefully vaguely interesting. One is we are actually building a brand. And if you check out adaventures.com, there's a brand there. And the brand is speaking to a more inclusive venture offering, right? We are saying, we don't mind who you are. We We care deeply who you are, but you can come from anywhere and be anyone. And you don't have to have, for example, a warm introduction to us as a VC firm, which basically most VC firms say you need to kind of come through our, our privileged network to be here. They'll say it in fancier words, but that's what. So our email addresses are on our website, Matt and Check. And you can email us. And it might take us a while sometimes because there's two of us and we get 200 of these a month probably now. So firstly, we do it by being a very open and inclusive venture brand, which is to the core of our firm and our funds strategy. And secondly, we do it by having a network of scouts that are exclusive to ADA. There's at least 50 of them now. And those scouts are typically leaders of diverse communities within technology and startups. And they are contracted to ADA to bring deals, startup investment opportunities from those networks to ADA and we remunerate them. If we make an investment in that company, we pay them a finder's fee effectively. And we also cut them into the carry on our fund um, relative to that investment. So it's a very fair deal. It's a really interesting deal. And it's completely differentiated deal flow. So those communities are typically not used to or experienced in engaging with venture capital. And so the, the scout tends to be the leader of that community. So they're running interference. They're kind of the interface between us and the community. And that really helps because the relationship is with the scout initially. And they love being a part of ADA. They love everything it stands for. They love the fact that they've got a relationship with a, a VC fund that they can trust, that they can take to their members when they're coming up with new startup ideas. I think that's, you know, it's not exclusive to ADA. There are other funds doing a similar thing. It's quite prevalent in the U.S., but I think the model of being really intentional about the communities that will fit well with our fund is completely unique. Can you give me some examples of some of these communities that you're referring to? So a good example is 
Muslimic Makers, which is a meetup of Muslims in tech in London. It's, yeah, that's what it started as. I believe it's thousand members or so now. And they could be developers at Google. They could be startup founders. And that's a community of people bound by a common thing, which in this case is religion, to build a network and have network effects and have the great advantages that networks we all know have. And within that, there's a massive amount of entrepreneurial activity. There's a deep understanding, you know, tangentially of businesses for Muslims, for that community, that serve that community. And so, uh, and then the, the leader of that organization, the founder of that organization, offer is a scout at Ada. And so, you know, she will bring the startup founders from Islamic makers to Ada because she trusts Ada to, you know, be respectful and to handle that situation well and to be have the right values and principles and not to have any subconscious bias against investing in a Muslim founder, quite frankly. There's an organization in Bristol. You and I were talking before this about the West Country, and we both know that West is best. And there's an organization down here, based down here, but, but actually an international organization now called Yenna, which is the Young Entrepreneurs Networking Association is kind of how that started. And that is a amazing business serving people right at the start of their entrepreneurial journey. And the story of that organization founding is co-founder Ash was a young guy in Froome, you know, not too far away from, from where you and I are. And starting a web design agency, this is, must be seven or eight years ago now, maybe even more. And someone told him to go to the Rotary Club if he wanted to build a network. But Ash didn't have a network, he didn't come from a background that gave him the privilege of being well-connected. And so Someone said, oh, you go to the Rotary Club. He didn't know what that was. He turned up at the Rotary Club. You know, I don't need to paint the rest of the picture for you, right? And so he's like, well, what can I do about this? For people like me who want to start a business, have a network and get the benefits of that. And so that's why he started that business. And, you know, he didn't know it was a business. It was a movement to start with and it became a business. It's now very successful. It operates in many countries around the world. And again, that's a Ash is a scout for, for Ada. Let's look forward. What are your aspirations for Ada and indeed for the world of VC? What's the legacy you'd love to create over the next decade or so? I would like to be a part of the democratization of early stage capital. And in this, you know, I think that's venture capital. That's that's the business we're in today. But I think the lines are getting blurred between uh, the different tranches of capital. Someone told me the other day there are 10 seed rounds now, right? There's like pre-seed, seed, seed plus, seed extension, you know, pro-seed, you know, <laughs> mango seed, which is a big seed, which is the, my favorite one. <laughs> I think that angel capital is becoming something very different as well in this country. Angel capital kind of was the purview of the, the Rotary Club type basically situation in this country. And it's very much not now. And I think that AngelList has Organizations like AngelList have kind of started some of that democratization. I think it's still quite exclusive, but I think that my legacy, if that's a sort of feel a bit sort of strange saying that, but because we're right at the start of something and who knows, but I think that our motivation is around democratization of early stage capital. Initially within the UK, but I would like to go international. Having seen from the inside the Silicon Valley, the power of that concentrated, you know, monopoly, if you will, which is now being being broken apart in a positive way there are anywhere there's a kind of metropolitan collection of creativity or business or finance or whatever it might be there is there are thousands of startups you know new startups each month basically and so that's kind of part of the start of it 
And now it's about democratizing access to capital, which is what Ada is all about, or Ada Ventures One LP is all about. But as as we expand that vision, I'd like to see I'd like to see much more impact um, than the significant but limited impact that a thirty million pound venture fund can have. So I'm sure we'll raise if our investors are supportive and we bring some new investors. Then we'll raise a second fund at some point and, and then a third fund, and that's the nature of that business. But I'm really intrigued by angel investing and whether or not there's an opportunity to um, institutionalize angel investors or bring some of the benefits of institutional capital to the angel investing world. I see those lines blurring. And equally to fund investing, I'm really excited by LP invest, by investing as an LP. And that journey started by some of the bigger funds invested in Ada Ventures One as, as LPs and incredibly like beneficial, supportive partners because they bring a different, they bring a later stage view or a different international view, whatever it might be. And I want, we've got an opportunity, I think, to take some of what we've learned at Ada. And a lot of that, Gary, is about the privilege of that we are two white people who went to private schools, right, in the UK. And we have been given the ability through that, those backgrounds to have confidence. This is, a, I'm talking very general terms, right? To go into those rooms and feel confident that I can pitch. You know, we went, we pitched Harvard Endowment and MIT Endowment and, you know, the big investors. And they didn't invest in our fund because we didn't know what we, didn't really know what we were doing in those rooms. <laughs> but we had that experience. And there's a video on our website of us making some of those mistakes, basically, which I encourage you to check out. But I want to take some of the understanding and I want to impart some of that learnings, like, like I said about the video content we'll put out and podcasts like this where I talk very openly about it. But also, I want to back these funds, these new funds, from very underestimated and VC founders, people who want to do what Ada's done. I want there to be more Ada ventures that are run, frankly, by more diverse people than, than Czech and me, by people who come from you know, much less privileged backgrounds. And Ada Ventures is kind of great. We did what we did because we thought, if we don't do this, who else is going to do it? Um, now, there are other people who are way more talented than Czech and I who could have done it. But we were in the moment to do it and we did it. And that's great. And now I want to support other funds. You know, there's limited content, there's limited ability to do this because, you know, the vast majority, 95% of our business time is on fund one. That's our you know, contracted arrangement with our investors. Where the vision is and the legacy point that you brought up, I want to, I want to help other funds be born that wouldn't be born and give them institutional help and give them capital. And that's something I'm really interested in thinking about and potentially building over the coming years under the Ada brand. Oh, under the Ada brand. Yeah, absolutely. So Ada was named Ada after Ada Lovelace, who was a polymath from the mid 19th century, who really, there's a great book called Ada's Algorithm, which like maybe is not everyone's cup of tea, but you can nerd out about early computing and the, the principles behind early computing. And we all talk about algorithms 20 times a day now. But Ada Lovelace is credited with inventing the concept of the computer algorithm. And you know, she's it's an extraordinary story. And she wasn't really written about because she was a woman. The history doesn't write about women. That's changing. And she was nearly the face of the 50-pound note, etc. So there's more recognition coming. But Ada Ventures was set up to fund the Adas of today, the people who are underestimated, who are not being looked at by society and by venture capital as a whole. And that principle is applicable in the investment world beyond just an early stage 
seed fund. Right? That principle is applicable and those values that Ada Ventures stands for is applicable to an LP strategy. Right? There are fascinating putting the content we've put out and putting the going live, if you like, at TechCrunch in Berlin in December last year. And that's been founders have inundated us, which is our business, and that's great. But also people have come to us saying, look, I think I'd like to raise a fund. And I feel comfortable approaching you guys because you've because you set your stall out as being very approachable and, and happy to talk about this stuff and not coming at it with any bias if you've got to have gone to Cambridge and studied computer science to be a tech entrepreneur, which is kind of, you can do that and we might back somebody with that background. But equally, you don't have to be that at all. And I think the same principle applies to fund investing and potentially other businesses as well, but they're just the ones that I think about at the moment, but all, you know, as Ada. Okay, so let's say I'm a headhunter. I want to raise my first VC fund. I approach you and check for some advice. How is it that the fund that I set up when it's, you know, after I pitched to a thousand people and had 970 no's, how is it that eventually I launched the fund and it's got the Ada brand attached to it? Walk me through that. Oh, sorry. I've misunderstood your question. I don't mean it will be branded Ada. I mean that we would build, we would in theory, and again, I haven't done a lot of work on this, but we would have an LP business that could back your fund and it could be called Headhunter Ventures, right? And and we wouldn't own any of the management, but we would want to invest as an LP. We would want to say, this person, Gary, has got the characteristics we're looking for, which map very similarly to founders, deeply mission-oriented about changing the way that the HR tech businesses get invested in. And I'm now giving you your playbook, which is, and we want to be an LP in that business. And not only do we want to make a financial commitment to the fund, but we want to say, we want to give you some of the intangible and intangible learnings that we've come out from this first fund. And I don't want to get over my skis here and say that we figured out a fund because we really haven't. And I, that's not false modesty. We got away with it on the fund one, absolutely. And we're going to do a great job with the fund. And I think it's right that we were given that opportunity by investors, but we're, we've got a lot to learn. So I think we would say that with humility, we would do some analysis and say, we want to put capital behind Headhunter Ventures. But the product of an ADA LP business would also include network of of other investors that like to co-invest with us. It would include playbook on how to build an inclusive venture capital business, which we believe leads to better outcomes. You know, we would bring some of the ADA institutional uh, benefits to that LP commitment, but you be completely your business and your brand and all the rest of it. Well, I look forward to launching Headhunter <laughs> Ventures in December 2021. <laughs> <laughs> you just secured your anchor LP commitment, which is the hardest thing to do. Like get your anchor. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, not not a bad way to kick things off. Awesome. Well, Matt, it's been super having you on today's show. I really wish you and check huge success shaking up the VC market, shaking up the angel market and um, yeah, helping those under, underserved and um, fringe investors and entrepreneurs to be, uh, to be huge success stories. Thank you. I hope I didn't uh, talk way too much, which is another thing I'm working on. It was fun for me anyway. And as I say, anyone's welcome to reach out to us. I'm Matt at adaventures.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's also a good way to reach me. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.